0: You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. So have y'all all seen the Avengers, right? I know I've asked this before. And I know, guys, I know 10 o'clock is typically a little more laid back and non-responsive than the other two. Today, I'm, I'm, I want that to change. Have y'all all seen the Avengers, yes or no? Yes. Wow, there's a lot of people who've seen it. So The Avengers is probably, it won 17 Academy Awards, one of the greatest movies of all time. It's a series of movies. but, But it's sort of like, it's hard because if you're watching The Avengers, it's sometimes hard to tell where you are in time. Because, you know, there's this multiverse, and so sometimes you're in the past, and sometimes you're in the future, and sometimes you're in the present, and sometimes you're in the past, present, future, on a completely different planet, on a completely different plane. And so it's just really hard unless you know what you know. Revelation is very, as a matter of fact, the guys who wrote Revelation must have seen the movie because it's very, very similar in a lot of ways. It's hard to know where you are because sometimes John is in the past and sometimes John is in the future and sometimes John is in the moment and sometimes John is, is in heaven, talking about heaven, sometimes he's talking about And so you really have to pay attention for Revelation or you get lost. And so today, John is, he's been, we go, been going through these judgments, most of which are what we said now and not yet meaning they're happening now, but they will happen fully at a different time. But today, John is going to step out of this judgment thing, and he's going to talk about something in the past, something that happened a long time ago. If you have your Bible today, you can go ahead and open up to John chapter 12. If you don't have it, I really would encourage you to bring it next time. Um, but John chapter 12 is, is sort of this story that's, that's kind of familiar in some ways. Uh, many of us grew up on the Christmas story. If you came to church, you know you had the Christmas story. Or maybe you watched Charlie Brown. Maybe you've never been to church before, but you've seen Charlie Brown. And it's like a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. We know sort of the Christmas story. And Luke has a super familiar version of the Christmas story that you've all heard. Matthew has a really familiar version of the Christmas story with all the genealogy, you know. And uh, even John, in, in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the book of John, there's a version of the Christmas story that says, and the word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Oh, it's a gorgeous, poetic version of the Christmas story. In Revelation, we're going to hear the Revelation version of the Christmas story, and it's a little bit different than the other ones. Slightly different. Um, John, in, in Revelation, takes imagery and poetry and symbolism to a whole new level. Uh, you got some of the same characters. Uh, you've got King Herod. Y'all remember King Herod from, um, I think it's Luke's version, where King Herod, it says all the boy babies in the town of Bethlehem have to be killed. He, he, go, he hates Jesus. So King Herod is in this version. You obviously have Jesus, and you have a few other characters. But let's jump in here to, this is uh, Revelation 12, verse 1, and let's hear the Revelation Christmas story. And it says this, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Okay, that's a little less familiar than probably what we're used to. You typically don't see kids act that out, you know, on stage at Christmas time. You know, you get got one kid dressed like a dragon swinging this. tail. Uh, this is different, right? It's a different version, but this is the Christmas story. It's just, it's just... A revelation version of it. As a matter of fact, I like to call this the cosmic Christmas story because you have a Christmas story that we're all familiar with and it's sort of things happening. And in Revelation, he's using a lot of symbolism, but he's also sort of opening the door so that we can see behind the scenes because there was something happening on earth, but there was also something happening beyond the cosmos. And so in Revelation, we get what we like to call the cosmic Christmas story. And we have some characters. The first character we're introduced to is a woman, a woman clothed with the sun. The moon, um, and she has 12 stars on her head. Now, a lot of people believe that woman is Mary, that they're talking about the Virgin Mary right there, and you can make a great argument for that, and I see that. A lot of other people believe that that woman that we're talking about is actually the nation of Israel, especially because of the 12 stars would be the 12 tribes of Israel, that this woman is actually uh, symbolic for the nation of Israel because Jesus came from the nation of Israel, the nation gave birth to Jesus. He was the promised Messiah to that nation. And so a lot of people believe that that's the nation of Israel, which I think I I tend to lean towards that interpretation. But either way, uh, it makes sense. Then you've got a red dragon. Would anyone like to guess who the red dragon is? Satan, Satan, right? Satan is the red dragon. We'll find that confirmed in verse 9. Then there's a child, uh, a child who will rule the world one day, a male child who will rule over all nations. Who's the male child? Jesus. All right. So we got our our cast of characters here. And what John is doing in Revelation at the end of the Bible is he is reminding us of the plot line of the entire book. The entire Bible has been a plot line of God versus Satan, of good versus evil. Y'all remember in Genesis, the world was created. And everything was perfect. And within a few chapters, evil comes up and presents itself, and man is tempted. And so this whole plot line of the whole book is this battle between good and evil, a lot of which we can see, but some we can't because it's cosmic and going on on a whole different plane and a different level. And so he sets the course for what will happen. Now, we know how this ends. We know that, that God wins, right? Right matter of fact, it said, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Some of you guys may remember that um, Jesus was, was born. And again, we saw this in Luke. When Jesus is born, Herod immediately tries to kill the baby because he's threatened by baby Jesus. And so that's sort of the dragon trying to destroy the male child. But he, he, he gets away from that and he wins and he lives and he dies and everything. And, uh, <laughs> and um, lost my place. Hold on. For some reason. And uh, Oh, and so, so then after Jesus, after Jesus dies on the cross and ascends, it says he was snatched up back into the throne. And so he ascends back to heaven. And then let, let's, go, let's go to verse 7. Then war broke out in the heaven. Michael and his angels. Okay, so now I've got another, another character, Michael, who's an angel, and his angels. These are good guys, right? These are good guys. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon's angels. Are the dragon's angels good guys or bad guys? Bad guys. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. So the dragon and his angels have lost their place in heaven to the, the good guys that beat him out. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to earth and his angels with him. Okay, so there's this, there's this battle that erupts in heaven, a cosmic battle, uh, and they're fighting over, over the child. And it's good for, Because apparently even angels have some sense of free will. All God's beings apparently have free will. And so these angels choose to rebel, and so there's this cosmic battle that happens, and Michael and the good angels, you know, they're fighting the bad, and they're all... <laughs> they're coming at each other. And... Chains, I don't know how it went down. They got weapons, nunchucks. And Michael and the good angels are cast... the ba- And, and now, the, now the bad angels are mad because they left heaven and they're on earth. Um, this is like leaving Cancun and ending up in Ohio, right? I mean... You, you're in this wonderful place, and now you're not. Uh, but again, the battle's not over. So the battle's not over yet. In verse 17, it says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. Okay, so the dragon is mad his team is lost. He's been cast down to heaven, and he's he's mad at the woman, but he can't do anything to the woman. He can't touch her. And he can't do anything to the male child. So he goes after the offspring of the woman. Now, who do you think is the offspring of the woman? At this point, us. It says it it right there. All those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So because the enemy can't go after the child, he goes after us. And I think we're going to see this in the future, but I also think we're seeing this now. Any of you ever been tempted to do anything wrong? I was tempted not, not too long ago to say something wrong. All right. I think we've all been tempted to do, do and say things wrong at a different time and a place, right? I think we've all been tempted to do these things. I was tempted during the Razorback game lots of times. So tempted. Tempted to, to throw my remote into the television, right? Tempted. I wanted to be like Ralphie from The Christmas Story when he had the bullet. Tempted. Sometimes we're tempted to say things we shouldn't say or do things we shouldn't do. And so and so I think we can all agree that there is an enemy still working, but this enemy has no power over us, right? Remember this. He can tempt us, he can annoy us, but he cannot possess us. He can only try to make our life difficult, but the truth is he's already, he's already lost. And so then in verse 17 it says, oh, he goes after the woman, keeps God's commands. So he's basically doing everything he can to make life miserable for us, even though he is a defeated enemy. Chapter 13, this is where it gets a little dicey um, for us, I think, and maybe where we should probably not Facebook post a lot about this chapter. Um, It says, the dragon, we know who the dragon is. Who's the dragon? Satan. So there's one, one, one bad guy so far. It says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw, and this is uh, chapter 13, verse 1, I think. The dra- he stood on the shore, of the, the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. And it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and each had had a blasphemous name. Now, is this a good guy or a bad guy? It's a bad guy, right? So now you've got, you've got the dragon and you've got one beast. And this beast is the bad guy. And this beast is a lot of imagery pulled from Daniel chapter 7. But for John's readers, they would have understood this beast as Rome. This is Rome. And remember, this is written for us, but not to us. For the original audience, this beast rising from the sea was probably talking about Rome. And, uh, and so this beast is the embodiment of evil. It's everything that's not good. It's, it tries to be like Christ, but it's not Christ. You might even call it, anyone want to guess, the antichrist. antichrist. Okay, so this beast is the Antichrist. He sets himself up against Christ. He is attempting to win the adoration and the worship and the love of the people who belong to God, but he is not Christ. He's fallen. He's far from Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, the emperor of Rome at this time made everyone address him as Lord, right? So can you imagine um, one of the reasons why Rome would have been the Antichrist to so many of these Christians back then? All right, so now we've got two people on the scene. We've got the dragon. We've got one beast. In verse, uh, verse 11, then I saw a second beast. So now we've got three people. We've got a dragon and two beasts a second beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. It made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, now we have got a dragon and two beasts. We have an evil trinity. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the trinity, the real one. And then you've got this evil anti-Christ trinity of a dragon and two beasts. And this second beast, I think what John is addressing here is religions and philosophies that disguise themselves as Christianity, but they're not. He, he, he even say, he says, he says, um, he says, it's kind of sounded like the lamb, uh, but it wasn't. And it's like, it's setting itself up as Christ, even though it's not. And this one, to me, is is the dangerous one. This, This beast that sets himself up as God to lure people away. This thing that we've seen in the American church especially, where you see lots of things claiming to be of Christ and authors claiming to write about Christ, but they're not. They're actually deceiving people away from Christ. And there's something the enemy does, and it's so subtle. There's a book called Screwtape Letters. And in this book, Screwtape Letters, he talks about how enemies, the demons, try to, try to deceive us. The enemy doesn't come to you and say, hey, believe there is no God. He doesn't get in your head and say, there can't really be a God. That, that's really the way he deceives us. The way he deceives us is he comes to us and says, maybe God's a little different than you read about. It's, it's little things like, oh, God doesn't really care when you do that. Oh, I know what the Bible says, but God actually affirms everything you want. It's like, no, I I know, I know know what Scripture's about, but God doesn't really care. Matter of fact, God wants you to be greedy and selfish and prideful. God wants you to have that. God believes that you deserve it. And so what happens is we follow these people and we follow these narratives that say God has no judgment, that God doesn't care, and you can basically just follow him and do whatever you want. And what happens to us most of the time is we flirt with that God a little bit. We don't jump all in because we still come to church. So we hear about this real God, but we flirt with these false gods. And we flirt and we flirt and we flirt and flirt. And over time, we end up in a full-scale relationship with a God that is not the God. And when that happens... This other beast, he's lured you away from the truth. I think y'all know we see that today. I mean, this is something that is happening right now. And then it says in verse 5, it says, The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or on their forehead, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for the number of a man. That number is, anyone got a guess? 666. Six, six. You're like, I don't really want to say that out loud. Right? So now we're to this 666 six, six thing, which, man, Christians are always super responsible with this portion of Scripture. Okay, what is the mark of the beast not? Anyone want to throw out any guesses? What it's not? That's right, a vaccine, correct. It's not a vaccine. One of the reasons I don't believe it's a vaccine is because I believe John wasn't really up on vaccinations at his point in ancient Israel. I don't think he's writing about vaccinations. Um, I also don't think he's writing about social security numbers, credit cards, or your driver's license. I don't think that's what John's talking about when he talks about the mark of the beast. And so a little Roman history here, because we know that history matters in this. Roman money. Remember, if you worshiped Christ, if you worshiped Christ and you didn't worship Rome, if you wouldn't bow to the emperor of Rome, you had no job. They would starve you. You couldn't make money. uh, they, They would persecute you. There was all these different things that happened if you wouldn't worship the God of Rome. Roman money had something on it. Would anyone like to guess what Roman money had on it? A picture of the emperor. Boom. So to use Roman money, to carry Roman money, was to carry the mark of the beast. And those who sold their soul to Rome and not to Christ were basically carrying the mark of the beast and using it to facilitate trade. And so they'd turned their backs on God. They'd embraced Rome and they'd embraced culture and society. And so they were carrying the mark of the beast with them. The mark of the beast was turning your back on God, on the real Christ, and embracing the Antichrist. I don't, I don't think it's a literal sign on your hand or forehead uh, because that just that doesn't make sense. And the number 666, uh, there, there's a, a, it's like a thing. It's called geometria where you assign numbers and letters in a position. And so it was frequently used by the Greeks. And 666 actually spelled out the name Nero. And so what most people believe, most Bible scholars believe, that 666 simply was a reference to Emperor Nero, who was a Roman emperor who persecuted and killed Christians, and his mug was on the money. You got me? Now, that's what it meant then. I think it means far more now. I think it means a lot more now. Uh, to me, I, th- I think the mark of the beast uh, to embrace uh, this antichrist is to worship something that's not Jesus, to elevate anything in your life above God. And some of the things we elevate in our life above God are actually quite beautiful, aren't they? I mean, th- th- that's why it said this, this enemy presents himself as a lamb, but really he's a wolf. This enemy presents himself as an angel of light, but really he's darkness. He presents himself as, as, you know, God, but he's a dragon. And so many of the things we elevate above God, it's not that they're bad things. It's that they have become idols, and therefore you are sealed by what you worship. And many of us have chosen to worship the wrong things, beautiful things. What are some beautiful things that we worship that aren't God? I'll give you a couple since I've had time to think about it. How about kids' sports? Is that one that we can easily elevate over the rule and reign of God? Uh, I'd love to be part of that, but I can't because, because my kid has water polo on Sunday mornings. And I've read somewhere there was a 0.9% chance he might be a professional water poloer one day. I mean, if we do this though, don't we? don't we? Don't we elevate these things? What about money? Money's not bad. We use money for great things. We've, we've invested uh, uh, like $175,000 in missions this year. We're going to give money out there for operating. Money's not a bad thing. But when it elevates above God and it becomes your idol, then you are sealed by that which you worship. And you are now sealed with the mark of money. That's who you belong to. Spouses sometimes. I mean, I see on Facebook people say, oh, she's my everything. He's my everything. I am not your everything. And you're not my everything. My everything is Jesus the Christ, and everything else in my life is simply something that God has allowed me to join from this moment to that moment. But no person is my everything, or that person can take everything from you. People aren't your everything. Children aren't your your cats. Come on, guys, we've elevated cats over God. <laughs> this is my everything. That's a cat. It doesn't even like you. At all. It's- so your cat's looking at you right now. Doesn't even care. Your dog likes you. Hey, hey, hey. So glad you're back. I missed you. Think about all the things we elevate above God, though. We sell our souls to things that will turn to dust. We take on a mark that was never ours to take. For those who are sealed by the Spirit, we should belong to the Spirit. And so the big meaning of this is, I, I love when people say, man, I'm, I'm just not a worship person. Yeah, I go, I'm just not a worship. You, you worship something, guys. Everyone in this room worships something. Uh, you might worship yourself. Maybe that's something we worship. There, there's a friend of mine, I'm not going to use her name, several friends of mine from this church. Guys, they do this thing where they, uh, they work with safe families and they take kids into their homes And I have watched these friends of mine get their hearts ripped out a thousand times because they just keep going back and keep allowing their home to be open. They keep allowing themselves to be highly inconvenienced for the glory of God. They don't elevate themselves over the gospel. Instead, they open their home to the point where it actually costs them greatly. We're all going to worship something. And you better decide who you worship because what you worship... Will be your seal, and so whatever you worship, whoever you worship, I would say this: make it count, because that—that is what will seal you. Chapter fourteen. Now we're just going to move kind of quick through through fourteen, because I I, man, I wish I could had time for all of this, but we've got now. Let me just jump in. Chapter fourteen. Then I looked. And there before me was the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Remember, at this point, I don't think the 144,000 is talking about Israel. I think the 144,000 is now talking about a number that means every tribe, every nation. It's a number that can't be counted. For all the people who were sealed by God. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one can learn the song, except for the hundred and forty-four thousand who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, women, for they remained virgins. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered his first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths and they are blameless. There's a lot going on here again. So there's this 144,000 who belong to God and then they're singing this thing and and they're worshiping God. And then it says, I love what it says right here. I think this is another little thing we got to pay attention to. These are those who did not defile themselves with women for they remained virgins. So it sounds to me like everybody who wins out at the end of the day is a virgin. Anybody get a little nervous? (laughs) Some of you should. Some of you have got the proof of your non-virginity sitting beside you. Mommy, right? I don't think this is talking about virginity in the way we probably think about it. Uh, I think this is talking about something different. So in, in Old Testament language, uh, when, when they talked about adultery and being adulterous, you adulterous nation, they weren't saying that everybody in that nation had cheated on their spouse. What they were saying was you're an adulterous nation because you've turned your back on God. And so I think like we saw in, in one of the churches, what he's talking about here is you defiled yourself by turning your back on God, being seduced by the goddesses. Remember how many of the, how many of the, uh, the towns had goddesses? you 're being seduced by something other than God, those who have not sold themselves, those who remain pure and clean, those who have held on to their virginity are not the people who aren 't having sex it 's the people who have chosen God above all other things and so what it 's saying here is those who have not turned their back on the king stand on that day and then, and then we meet these three angels and Y'all can read about this. The, the first angel uh, just talks about judgment and grace. And the second angel talks about the fall of Babylon, and, uh, which he's talking about Rome, but he calls it Babylon. Uh, but the bigger picture of the fall is that all these godless systems and philosophies will one day fade away. And then the third angel talks about the dangers of worshiping anything and anyone but God. And then we jump into to this last part, and this is where we will in today. This is Revelation 14, 14. And it said, And I looked. And there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like the son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. You got, when he talks about a sickle, do y'all know what he's talking about? He's not talking about a sickle. It was really confusing first time I read this. Not talking about a bomb pop. He's talking about a sickle is a tool used for harvesting. And they came a couple of different ways. You could have one with one blade, where you swung like this, you could have one with two blades, but they were for harvesting crops. You would go out and you would harvest with a sickle. And so, so there's this one who looks like the Son of Man, and he's on a cloud, and he's got a sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, "'Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of earth is right.' So he who was sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested.' Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle, "'Take your sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the the earth, vine, because its grapes are ripe.' The angel swung his sickle on the earth and gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They were trampled in the winepress." outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of about 1,600 stadia. Right? A lot going on. Someone in the last service, I said 1,600 stadia, and they said, do you know how far that is? And I was like, it's a little bit further than 1,500 stadia. (laughs) Try to get me. (laughs) <laughs> I think we, I think Dusty said, I think it was actually like, I think he said it was like the distance between here and Fayetteville or something like that. So what was it? 180 miles? Yeah. All right. 180 miles. That was close. What's, what's going on here though, guys? What's, what's happening here? What happened in, uh, in the sixth seal? I'll, I'll tell you. It was a day of judgment. It was a great day of judgment. In the seventh trumpet, the seventh trumpet was a great day of judgment. Uh, we'll read about the bowls, and the seventh bowl is going to be a great day of judgment. This, again, is the great day of judgment. There will be a day when when when, when God will reap from this earth what he has sown. And God sow, He sowed people like us, people who have received the mark of the Lamb, and he did that with the blood of Christ. With the blood of Christ, God redeemed people. And so one day he will will reap back what he has sown that he he gave his son. And and there will be this great moment. And I think we we see it in part now. One day we will see it in full when Christ comes and he reaps all those who belong to him. And on the day God reaps what he has sown, you and I will also reap what we have sown. And if we have chosen to worship things that are not God, then that will not be a good day for us. If we do not belong to the Lamb, and belonging to the lamb, I believe, it, it, yes, it's about saying yes, and, and it's about, a, you know, a prayer, but it is also about living into this life you have been given. It is about being a tree that bears fruit in the world. It is about loving God and loving people. It is about living out the commands that Christ told us to live. And so for those who are not marked by the lamb, when that day of reaping comes, it will not be a good day. You know, I... Now, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it's your actions that save you. It is Christ alone that saves you. It is Christ alone, his death on the cross. But saved people should look saved. And people who belong to Christ should look like they belong to Christ. And people who are sealed by the lamb should look like they're sealed by the lamb. And so I really think this is a moment for us when we stop and go, okay, what am I really worshiping? Because you you can tell who you really belong to by who you really worship. And you can typically tell who you really worship by where you really spend your time and your money. Who do you really belong to? What do you really worship? Do you worship your past? You can't ever move forward, man, because you're so stuck in your own past. Is it your kids or your wealth or, or what is it? What is it? What has elevated itself in front of God in your life? There will be a day of sowing and reaping. And guys, I, I, I don't, um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of scaring people into a relationship with God because I think it's ineffective. Or ineffective. I, like I remember when I was a kid, um, if like someone tried to scare me out of doing something, it worked until they turned around. Like, I just don't think fear and guilt are great motivators for change. But I do want to say this. I don't think God will beg you to accept God. As a matter of fact, there's moments in the Bible when Jesus draws these massive crowds and he turns to them and says, hey, I'm glad y'all are all here. Now guess what? Take up your cross and follow me. Live like I live. And when he says that, you know what the crowd normally does? We're going to go find a different church. Or he turns to the crowd and says, "Hey, I'm glad you're all here. Now drink my blood and eat my flesh," and the crowd goes, "Ooh!" And when the crowd walks away, what it never says Jesus does is go, "Oh no, please don't leave me! Stop, everybody!" He doesn't beg the crowd to stay. He won't beg you, but occasionally I will. Think about where your life is. Think about who you worship. And if you're here today and you do not belong to the king, then choose this day who you will serve. Guys, if there's one thing we should learn through, through living in tornadoality together, it's that life is precariously short. And your day will come when your day comes. And we have a job to do on this earth. And as a matter of fact, if I'm reading this stuff and we're talking about a day of, of a great harvest when everyone who doesn't belong to God will, will reap what they sow, not one of us should leave this room going, oh, yes, we win. Now, the fact that people will not get into heaven is a sign that you and I have not done the fullness of our job yet. That should pain us. We can't control people's free will, but are we doing the fullness of what we can do to make sure everyone has a chance to know Jesus? Choose this day who you will serve because it matters. And if you're on the fence, I wouldn't sit there long because you were sealed by something or someone. Whatever seals you, make it count. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.